Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The second passage is from 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will restore, will he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word to us uh, from, uh, uh, through Peter uh, in this letter that he wrote to the churches that were scattered all throughout Asia Minor 2,000 years ago. And we thank you that your words written so long ago uh, have great relevance, continues to have great relevance to us today. As we finish this series uh, in 1 Peter today, please help us uh, to see how your words are there to help us to know who we are as believers, um, the great privilege uh, that we have in Christ, and what it means to live uh, as your people, uh, and how to make it to the end uh, to the eternal glory that you have so graciously prepared for us. We pray, too, that for those who are here who are not yet believers in Jesus, that you will help them to come to see why uh, it is uh, not just necessary, but good and amazing uh, to put their trust in him. Uh, for there is uh, no other hope in heaven and on earth, now or forever, but in Christ. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, friends, how are we going to make it to the end? All right, how are we going to make it to the end? 
Now, for some of us sitting here, perhaps the journey has only just begun. I look at the teens, I look at some of us here, maybe we've only been a Christian a few days or a few weeks or a few months. We feel very much just at the beginning, and it's starting to dawn on you that this Christian thing isn't going to be easy. You've been coming along the last few weeks, and uh, every week has something to do about suffering, and it's freaked you out a little bit, uh, perhaps. Or maybe even in your young faith, you've already started to experience some level of opposition and suffering uh, from family and from friends. Now, for others of us, perhaps we've been Christians for quite some time already, years, perhaps even decades. And the journey has been long and hard, and you're not sure how much more, how much longer you can hold on for. Or perhaps you're sitting here today, and you're not a Christian, and you have been coming along, and you might be wondering, I'm not sure that I want to become a Christian. Do I really want this as my life, right, to be associated with Jesus and with Christians and the church? Is that really what I want? Now, today we come to the end of Peter's letter, a letter which is all about helping believers to make it to the end, right? It's a letter that's all about helping believers to make it to the end. And crucial to making it to the end is knowing our identity, right? Who we are as Christians. And that's kind of the, the focus, really, on the first chapter and a half, where Peter says that it's incredible to be a Christian, right? It's incredible to be a Christian. Uh, he says that we are the elect chosen by God, saved by Jesus, belonging to God as God's special holy people. We've been given a new life with a living hope. The living hope is the certainty of eternal inheritance and glory with Jesus. Now, crucial to the life in the present is living out this new life now, right? Living out this new life right now. And so we saw that in the middle section of 1 Peter, uh, Peter talked about living uh, good lives, right, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, uh, seeking the good of others, especially that people might come to know the Lord Jesus. It's about living godly lives, radically different from the sin-driven desires of our world. Um, But crucial to making it to the end, as we've been hearing over the last few weeks, especially is that living for Jesus will mean suffering. Right? We're going to suffer if we're going to be associated with Jesus and live for Him. After all, we're not just elect. We are elect exiles, aren't we? We are strangers and foreigners in this world. We've been told over and over again that life for believers will be difficult. We are to expect suffering. In fact, as we heard last week from Jordan, we are to rejoice in it and to trust God in it. Now, Peter finishes his letter with final instructions uh, to the church, instructions that are crucial for making sure that we stand firm as Christians and make it to the end. And in our passage today, we're going to see that standing firm requires two things, humility and boldness, right? Humility and boldness. It'll be about 80% humility and 20% boldness, as you'll see uh, in this sermon. Not quite exactly in I mean, just those are word numbers, uh, word, uh, word, word amount. But really, those two themes really stand out right in this final chapter. It requires humble shepherds uh, who will lead God's flock. It will require humble sheep who will submit to their shepherds. It will require humility from everyone, in fact, right? Humility towards God and humility towards each other in the church. It's absolutely crucial, right, hum- being humble. And we're going to make it to the end. But so is boldness. 
when it comes to dealing with Satan, with the devil, and with all the forces uh, that will seek our downfall, uh, we must go on battling and resisting with boldness. Battling and resisting with boldness. Let's get into it. All right, so looking at humility to start with. Uh, looking at humble shepherding, verses 1 to 4. Now, Peter begins this final section by imploring, right? That's what exhort means, which is to strongly encourage, to implore, to beg almost, uh, the elders of the churches, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Uh, and then he goes on, right? But let me just uh, deal with this first verse first to start with. Now, in other parts of the New Testament, uh, we see that elders uh, aren't just older people in general, Right, you know, sometimes we think about the elders or the elderly, we just think old people. Uh, but the elders uh, in the New Testament especially are godly men who are seasoned in the faith, who are appointed right, by, uh, by, by other leaders uh, and the church as overseers of the church, right? appointed men who oversee the church. You see this uh, throughout the book of Acts, you see it in 1 Timothy 3 and chapter 5 and in Titus chapter 1. Uh, Peter himself was a fellow elder, he says, in verse 1. And uh, Peter was appointed by the Lord Jesus as a witness uh, to proclaim and to teach Jesus and to suffer with and for Jesus uh, in order that he might share in the glories of Jesus in the future. Now, as a fellow elder, Peter implores the elders of the churches to shepherd the flock of God. Right, to shepherd the flock of God. Now, by the way, uh, shepherd and pastor are the exact same words. I'm not sure if you know that, but shepherd is kind of like English, or it just describes a role. Pastor is from the Latin, um, and it just means the same thing. Okay? So I'll use the words interchangeably, but I'll more likely just say shepherd because it's what the passage uses, but the word pastor is the same thing. Now, Peter's original readers would have known exactly what shepherds did. Right? 2,000 years ago, uh, they would have seen shepherds uh, all over the place, but I reckon even us modern city slickers right, know what shepherds do. Right? We watch enough TV shows and, uh, and we know enough general knowledge to know what shepherds do. But more important than general knowledge, I think it's the biblical understanding of what it is to be a shepherd. You see, the idea of being a shepherd goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, and we could spend a long time on this, but I'll just go through it pretty quickly, right? the, the leaders... Uh, of God's people in the Old Testament were called shepherds. The kings of Israel, like David and Solomon, were called shepherds, and they were to shepherd God's people. But most important of all, God is called the shepherd. Right? He's called the, uh, and in this passage, we see that he's the chief shepherd. If you, we really want to know what it means to shepherd a people, then we have to look to God. And there's no better place than what we heard read out before, Psalm 23, right? Probably the most famous shepherd passage in the Bible. Uh, in it, we hear that God the shepherd, he feeds his sheep. He cares for his sheep by leading them to water and food. He protects his sheep, right, from the enemies. And ultimately, God leads his sheep to righteousness and to eternal life. Right, to righteousness, the good life, and eternal life with Him. Now, when we move forward in the, in, in the Bible to the New Testament, we see God as shepherd. It's fleshed out in the Son of God, who calls Himself 
the good shepherd. Have a look at John 10 to see how Jesus fleshes out what it means right, to be a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, Jesus comes to show what, the, what, what God a shepherd does. He comes to show what God a shepherd does, right? He, he lays down his life for his sheep. Uh, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He gives his life to secure eternal life for his sheep. And the way to knowing Christ and being his sheep is through hearing his voice, isn't it? Through his word. Jesus' words are how his sheep right, are fed, are provided for, how they are protected, and how they come to know Jesus and how they come to have eternal life in Jesus. Now, so what does all this mean for elders to be shepherds of God's flock? Well, I think it means quite clearly that, that shepherds or elders are to feed God's people with God's word. It's to, to help people to come to know Jesus, right, the good shepherd, and to follow Jesus, the good shepherd. In a way, we are, we're not the chief shepherd. We are not the good shepherd. We are the under shepherds who are shepherding people towards Jesus. That's how God's people survive. That's how God's people are protected. That's how they all make it to the end. That through the word, they come to know and trust and live for Jesus. Now, in SLE Church, there are six of us that have been appointed as elders of the church. I wonder whether you know who the six of us are. Uh, I won't tell you, right? If you don't know who the six are, you should find out. But I do want to say that it is our great responsibility and task to shepherd this entire church. Right? Our role is to lead all of you right, to our eternal home by the ministry of God's Word. But as I look around the church, I see that there are others who are also doing this kind of role, right? if in a smaller way. This idea of teaching the Word of God in order to help people come to know and follow Jesus to make it to the end. It's not just the six elders, the appointed ones. I see other people doing it in smaller ways. You could call them small E elders, right? If you want to put the appointed elders as capital E, and then the small E elders are those who kind of shepherd smaller groups of people within the church. Uh, so people like, you know, the grow group leaders or the kids church leaders or the, the ministry team leaders, they all have a, a kind of shepherding role, don't they? Well, to, to me and the six, uh, as part of the six, and to all of you who are small E elders, I want to implore you with the same charge that Peter implores the elders in this passage. And the, the exhortation is to shepherd the flock. Right? Shepherd the flock. Feed God's word to the sheep of SLE Church. Grow them in Christ. Protect them right, in their faith. Help them to hold on to Jesus who is their salvation until the day of salvation and into eternal glory. Now, at this point, I feel like we should commission all the elders again, right? We did that for, for, for Richard about, what, five weeks ago now? But I almost feel like we need to get all the elders, all the small elders to stand up, right, to make a pledge, a vow, a commitment. And I, I, I do hope that you will do that right, within your own heart to shepherd the flock of God.
Now, all of this shepherding and overseeing uh, is to be done in a certain way. And that certain way is with humility, right? With humility. The same attitude of humility, the same humble and sacrificial service as the Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, the chief shepherd. Now, three word pairs in this passage drive this point home about humility. Right? The first word pair is not under compulsion, but willingly. Now, there shouldn't be any big E elder or small E elder in SLE church who is serving uh, out of feeling like they are being forced, out of compulsion. And the compulsion could be maybe a pressure from within yourself. Right? You know, you say, I've already been a Christian for so long. I guess I really should lead, though I don't really feel like it, but everyone sees me that way, so I should do it. That's compulsion. It's self-driven compulsion. Or perhaps it could be the expectations of others. Right? You're getting roped in to lead, even though you don't really want to. Yeah, the heart's not in it, but people keep asking you. People keep pressuring you. But you know, you're paisay, right? Uh, you're embarrassed right, to say no. Like, what will people think of me if I say no? I've been a Christian for so long. And so you feel the pressure to say yes. Or maybe you believe that stepping down means that you will disobey God. Perhaps, you know, all through the years, you've been taught that God expects a lot from you. And, and, and you feel like if you were to step down, you'll be dishonoring God and He will judge you. So the expectation might be from yourself, it might be from others, or it might be from God. Now, if you are feeling forced, stop it. Right? Stop being a shepherd and start doing something about it. Start doing something about it, right? Uh, uh, have a change of heart. If you want to keep continuing, have a change of heart. Do it willingly. Otherwise, God's word says, stop. Do not shepherd God's flock under compulsion, but do it with willingness. Now, I'd love for you to change your heart and to, to want to serve, but if that's not where you're at at the moment, you should stop. Now, obviously, it'd be great to speak to other elders, other pastors about, about that, uh, what you're going through, right? to talk through maybe there's something stopping you, but please do talk through it and work it through because God does not want unwilling shepherds over his flock. Now, the next uh, passage, the next pair, sorry, uh, puts the emphasis on uh, very willing, right? The eagerness of ministry. Right, it's not for shameful gain, second pair, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, what motivates some elders, sadly and horribly, is shameful gain, right? Literally, it means uh, the love of mammon, right? Love of money. Uh, and uh, so it could be money, but I think it could also be a shameful gain and other kinds of gain. And usually the, 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 the big three, Right, the unholy trinity is money, sex, power. Right, money, sex, power. When you read all the passages uh, in the New Testament about false teachers, uh, this is exactly what we see. Uh, So-called leaders, pastors, teachers, who are in it for the money, for the sex, and for the power. It was true back in the first century. It's been true all through the centuries, and it's still true today. So sadly, nothing has really changed. We hear of the same thing um, in the news, don't we? I don't really want to talk about it. I, I was going to put pictures of headlines uh, from various news sources about pastors and false teachers behaving badly in the area of money, sex, and power. But I don't really want to do that. No one really wants to see any of that. We kind of know about that already. 
And if you're not aware, then God bless you, right? You are very sheltered and innocent, and stay that way as long as you can. You don't need to know about that, but it happens, right? No pastor, no elder, no Christian leader should be in it, right, for such shameful gains. God is saying here, either be truly willing and eager to be God's shepherd over God's flock, or don't be one at all. Is that clear enough, right? Either be a willing, eager shepherd, or don't be one at all. Now, this is what I desperately want for myself. I read a passage like this, and and I'm really just preaching to myself here, as well as to the other elders uh, in the church. I, I really desperately want that for myself and for the elders. I would hate for us right, to go down the path where your elders bring shame to the Lord Jesus by engaging this kind of dishonorable, this kind of disgusting behavior. And this is what all of you should expect and and hope for and pray uh, that we would be as your leaders. And I would say even that you should hold us accountable, right, to the Word of God. Now, finally, the last word pair is not domineering but examples, right? Not domineering, but examples. Our good shepherd was humble, even to death on the cross. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Right? This is the model of the shepherd, the only model. There is no other model for shepherding except Jesus. We lead by the example of Jesus Christ. And that model is one of sacrificial humility. You see, there's absolutely no place for domineering leadership for overbearing bossiness, right? for bullying and abuse of any kind, right? None, no excuse right? for any of that. You see, elders, we are never to be like over people, um, driving over them like a bus and leaving all these dead and broken bodies behind. Right? Once again, in recent times, if you don't get that reference, There's such big profile cases of spiritual abuse by celebrity pastors, right, in the media. And sadly, it's not just high profile cases that some of you would have heard of or or watched a Netflix series on, right? Sadly, I know of many regular churches and regular pastors that you'll never hear of, thankfully, who are likewise engaged in this kind of domineering abusive, bullying kind of behavior. And this just can't happen. Let there be no hint of this happening in our church. And if there is a hint of this happening, don't put up with it. Right? Don't put up with it. Raise it as a concern. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 gives you, the church, instructions for how to hold me and the elders accountable if you're ever concerned about our behavior, about our leadership, about our shepherding. Right? You are to follow that and bring it up. And if the other elders of, the, of SLE Church, they don't take you seriously, they don't take the issue seriously, and they don't investigate it properly, and they don't deal with it appropriately, then this is not the church that you want to be at. Right? This is not the kind of church you want to be at. The same goes for whatever church you might be a part of in the future. Right? Make sure that you pray for and you encourage and you hold your elders accountable to the Word of God in this area. It's vital. Right? It's vital for us as elders to shepherd God's flock in this way. Right? It's vital for us because when the chief shepherd appears, we're told, when the big boss comes, 
Right? We will either receive praise and, 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 and uh, affirmation and honor and glory, or we will be shamed and condemned and judged. But it's also vital for you as the sheep, as the church. It is vital for everyone in this church that your elders are humble shepherds who are leading you to Christ and to eternal glory. All right. The bulk of what I've got to say is directed to the elders. Uh, we get on to chapter 5, verse, uh, part, first part of it. Uh, he moves on to the younger, which I take to mean all the non-elders, right? If the elders are the appointed leaders uh, and shepherds, then the younger, I think, is everyone else. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So much is said to the elders, but there's just half a verse, right? one simple and very clear instruction to the younger, right, to the rest of the church, and that is... Be subject to your elders. Now, knowing that God has put elders as your shepherds, you ought to put yourself under their authority. Right? So I put a rocket up all the elders before for about 15 minutes, and I'll speak to the younger, to the rest of you, just for a few minutes, okay? Because I don't want to be overbearing and domineering, okay? I want to preach the Word of God, okay? So let's go. Now, brothers and sisters, you're called to be sheep. You're called to be sheep who let your pastors, your shepherds, pastor you. That's not my words. That is God's word, right? It's not me saying it. That's God's word saying it. Now, what this means is that you're to receive our teaching of God's word. You're to respond uh, to our pastoral care and our counsel on godly living. You're to allow us to try to protect you, uh, to help you to keep walking with Jesus right up to the very end. And you can expect that at those times when you are straying as sheep, and which street doesn't stray, and that includes the elders, that includes everyone, when you as sheep stray, straying away from Jesus, being led astray by false teaching or worldly influence or sinful desires, that we would correct you and even rebuke you in a loving way. Right? We will say, have some hot conversations about this. So it's crucial, isn't it, that uh, shepherds truly are God's shepherd. shepherd. Um, And if that's the case, then it's crucial that you let us shepherd you, that you let us shepherd you. Now, um, without humility, once again, this would be impossible, right? You can't be a sheep that allows your shepherds to shepherd you, to teach you and to correct you and perhaps even to rebuke you without being humble. Right, if you're not humble, you won't be a sheep that responds to your pastors, to your elders, to your Christian leaders. Now, sadly, in my uh, 15 years as a pastor, I've experienced many sheep who lack humility. I'll put it out there. Right? I've met many sheep who lack humility, either a little bit or a lot. Right? There's, a, there's a whole spectrum. Um, I guess you'd expect that, right? Uh, after all, we all struggle with sin uh, and pride. The lack of humility is a sin that most of us, if not all of us, will never fully conquer. So it's no um, a big, big revelation to you that every sheep I've met right, has a humility problem, either a little bit or a lot. Okay? Now, I've got so many real-life examples, but similar to the false teachers, I don't want to go through them. I don't want to uh, you know, change their names and, and make it sound anonymous. Uh, and try to protect people's integrity by sharing new stories. I don't want to share stories about that. Instead, I want to give you a moment to think about yourself, 
don't let me talk about what experiences I've had about sheep who aren't humble. I want you to think about yourself as a sheep, about the times that you weren't willing to listen uh, to your pastor or your spiritual leader. Think about a time when, or the times when you were proud and defensive and disinterested in what your shepherds had to say to you when you weren't being a humble sheep. I'll give you 30 seconds. Maybe you want to write it down. I want you to think about it. Right, when was I not a good, humble sheep? I'm going to think about that too, because I'm a sheep too, right? Now, if nothing came to mind, perhaps you might need to work on humility. <laughs> um, no, just kidding. Maybe you just got a bad memory, okay? Now, the second thing I want you to think about is, I want you to think about all the times where you tried to care for another sheep of Jesus, uh, who, were, who was being immature uh, or going astray in their faith, and perhaps some of them are sitting right beside you right now, don't look, right? Maybe they're in the room, you tried so hard to help them with the Word of God and with counsel, but they didn't respond, right? They, they were proud, they were defensive, and they were disinterested in your efforts when they weren't being a humble sheep. I want you to think about that, right? Don't look around, don't make it too obvious, I want you to think about them. And as you think about yourself, as you think about those around you, I want us to grieve. I want us to grieve about that. And I want us to pray for our own repentance and for the repentance of all the other sheep of SLE Church. We can't be proud sheep, for we will not be led right, towards Christ and to eternal glory. I grieve and pray. You see, so crucial is humility right, that Peter drills down on this point. After verse 5a, he expands it to everyone, right, shepherd, sheep, everybody in the church. He says this in 5b. Clothe yourselves, all of you, right, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see, humility is needed all around. Right? It's for the shepherds, it's for the sheep, it's pretty much everybody, isn't it? Humility is needed all around. Uh, elder or younger, it doesn't matter. Because everyone needs to be humble. Now, why, why is that, right? Why is humility so important? Um, let me go through a few things, right? Four points. Humility, number one, recognizes our place before God and before each other, right? Sorry, our rec our humility recognizes our place before God and our Lord Jesus Christ, right? He is, after all, the chief shepherd of all. So whether we're elder or whether we are younger, we all are humbled under the chief shepherd. Number two, Humility recognizes our need for grace. Right? We are all equal on our hands and knees at the foot of the cross. We are all dependent on the grace of God for salvation. Number three, humility recognizes the roles that God gives us. Humility is needed both to lead and to submit, both to be an elder and to be a younger, to be a shepherd and a sheep. Fourthly, humility recognizes our need for help. Right, if we're going to make it to the end, we're going to have to receive all the help that we can get. Right, all the support and all the encouragement and all the correction and all the rebuke when we are stuffing up and straying away. And we do that, don't we? Sheep always stuff up and always stray. That's just the nature of being sheep and being human. We need all the help we can get. You see, God can't 
and God won't give grace to the proud because the proud won't receive the help from God. And so God opposes the proud. Right? He opposes the proud because they won't receive anyway. And it's an it's a, it's a offense, it's a dishonor to God to, to say no to the only one who can help us. But He promises to give grace to those who are humble. Only those who are humble will receive the grace from God because they're the only ones who are willing to receive it. So it's clear, isn't it? Humble yourselves, and He will give us all that we need. God will sustain us all the way to the end where He will exalt us and He will lift us up to glory. Why would you not humble yourself? So within the church, humility is absolutely vital. But when it comes to dealing with the enemy, right, with the devil, with, with the forces that are set against us, we must boldly resist. Right? So all this whole chunk about humility, but then he switches course, right? right? Within the church, humility is key. But when it comes to things that are going to be against us, boldness, resisting boldly is the key. Now the devil, the Satan, is pictured here by Peter as a prowling lion that is ready to devour his prey. Right, it's meant to bring a, give us an image of, of, I mean, like for us, we don't see lions except in the zoo. They're so tame, uh, except for that fence and that body of water that separates them from them. But if you were to live in a place where lions roam free, well, you know the danger of a prowling lion. Right? The, the devil is the adversary, uh, the, the enemy that wants to make sure that we don't make it to the end. Why? Because the devil is set against God. And he's set against God's kingdom. He's set against God's people. He wants God's kingdom to crumble, have no one in it. He wants us to not make it to the end. Now, the devil doesn't do it personally. Now, maybe uh, you, when you think of the devil, you think of the movie and the cartoons, right, with this red-suited guy carrying a pitchfork with horns. Now, the devil would love for you to think of the devil as just that. But that's not what the devil is like, or that's not how he works. You see, Satan uses any and every tool he can to lead us astray and take us down. Right? He's, he's very um, uh, inventive and creative and agile right? to use whatever to bring us down. Now, you can't win a war, or you can't win a war against the devil uh, and against his evil ways right, without the briefing tent uh, and the battlefield. You can't win a war without a briefing tent and the battlefield. Let me explain. Right? The briefing tent is where you get mentally prepared and you get ready for battle, isn't it? It's where you get mentally prepared you get ready. Right, in the briefing tent, you get the commanders uh, who share or who gain, and then they share the intelligence right, on the enemy forces, uh, on the weapons that they've got, on the tactics that they'll use right, to bring us down. And then the commanders will lay out you know, uh, our forces and our defense and our attack plans. Then they'll provide the manpower and the support and the weapons that are needed for us to be able to win the war, right, to be able to battle against the enemy. Now, in my national service days, I was uh, in the army for a couple of years. Uh, you go to the briefing, and then there will always be the blur sotong, right? If you're a Singaporean, the people who are like, just out of it, right? Uh, airy fairy, uh, heads in the cloud kind of people, right? Who, who are there but not there. Um, you know, they're, they're maybe half asleep, uh, or they're uh, dreaming about their girlfriend, you know, uh, back in civilian land, or they're on their phones playing computer games, uh, sneaking in into the briefing tent. You can't do that in the briefing tent. Then you get out there, these blur sotongs, they've got no idea what's going on. Right? They're meant to flank right to attack, they flank left. You're meant to charge and they are crawling. 
right? No idea. Peter says we have to be sober-minded and prepared. Not surprised, not clueless. Peter's been stressing this point throughout the letter. To be sober-minded and prepared. To not be surprised, not be clueless. We've got to know what we're up against as Christians. But you see, wars aren't won in the briefing tents, though, are they? Wars are won on the battleground. Right, Peter says in verse 9, resist. Resist. Firm in your faith. He calls for us to join in the battle that every believer is in. We've been briefed. Now go battle. Now put up the fight. Now the, the question is, will, will we fail to resist? Right, you come to church. This is the briefing tent, by the way. No one's suffering in here too much, except under my preaching, maybe. But no one's suffering in the way that Peter talks about in terms of the pressures of sin and, and the world and, and persecution and whatever. This is the briefing tent. We fill our minds with all this information, but when we get out into the world, do we resist? Will we fail to put up a fight when we get out there? Now, God gives us weapons for the fight, right? The armor of God, Ephesians 6, go read up on it during the week. It's a great passage about this. Right? The belt of truth, that's what we came here for, right? We're to put it on. The breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the ultimate weapon of them all, the one that rounds up all the armor of God, is prayer, praying always in the Spirit, probably the greatest weapon that we have. Are you using strength to resist holding up that shield and swinging that sword? And will we use the weapons that God gives us, expending our energies to resist the devil and his ways of bringing us down? Right, will we pray at all times using the greatest weapon that God has to give to us? Now, resisting requires effort. And resisting is done in the heat of battle, in the thick of hardship right, and suffering. It's easy to talk about resisting here in the comfy of aircon and with friends around. But in the heat of battle, in hardship and suffering, will we resist? Now, it all sounds very hard, doesn't it? It all sounds really hard. Well, it is hard. And but lest we think it's all on us, lest we think it's impossible to win the war and get to our final destination, this is how Peter finishes. Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You hear this, friends? God will do it. Right? God will do it. As he began the letter, so he ends it with God's grace as the foundation right, for our being led to glory. From, from uh, election, eternity past, to final glory, eternity future, God does it all. Right? Grace to meet every need to prevail us in every situation. He restores, right? He makes us whole and complete. He confirms, he grounds us when doubt sets in, when our feet feel like they're on shifting sand. He strengthens us. When we hold on to Jesus and we, we resist the devil, we don't do it just with our own strength. We do it when God strengthens us, by God's strength. And finally, he establishes here. He sets our feet on the rock. He builds us up. He will finish the work that he began. And so Paul Peter says, praise 
be to God. My praise be to the absolute and the wonderful power of God who resources us, who secures us right, to the very end by His grace. Now let's wrap things up. Peter says that suffering will be for a little while, a little while, but glory will be forever. Suffering for a little while, glory forever. That's just another way of saying that we are elect exiles, right? That's the life of the believer. But it's only true right, for the believer. Can I just speak for a minute to the unbelievers, right? It is sadly not true that it's suffering for a little while and eternal glory for the unbeliever. Right? For the unbeliever, the suffering will not be for a little while. It will go on forever and ever. There is no hope for eternal glory because eternal glory is only found through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're still here investigating Christianity and you're afraid for what it might mean for you to become a Christian associated with Jesus, trusting in Him, then please, can I beg you, can I implore you not to let the fear of what this Christian life is really like in this lifetime scare you away from putting your trust in Him, which will secure you not only for this life, but for the life that is to come. Instead, please fear what an eternity of not being one of God's people will be like. Fear that. Now, Christians have the certain hope of glory that is to come. So Peter calls us to come to faith in Christ Jesus and to stand firm right, in that faith. And now what we've been given by the grace of God is incredible. We've seen that through Peter. What we've got to look forward to is no less than eternal glory with our Lord Jesus and with God our Father. But what we're called to do, a life of goodness and godliness, will require suffering in this lifetime. It'll be hard. But praise be to God, His grace will lead us home. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks, all our thanks and praise, for you are the God of grace, uh, who, who secures us and strengthens us and establishes and completes the work that you began in us. We thank you for one Peter. We thank you for this word. We thank you that it prepares us, uh, equips us, uh, for the life that we are to live as believers, and it gives us the great hope of the eternal glory that is to come. I do really pray that us as elders, pastors, leaders of this church would really be the kind of humble servants, shepherds, that models only after the Lord Jesus, that we would truly care for your flock here in SLE Church, that we would feed the sheep uh, through your word with all humility. I pray for us all as sheep of SLE Church, that we would submit to our elders, that we would have the humility to let them pastor us, especially in those moments when we are straying as sheep. Please help us to not be proud and defensive or disinterested, but help us to be led back to Christ. In all of this, I pray that you will give us that boldness to resist all the forces of evil that go against us to prevent us from following Jesus and making it to the end. By your grace, we are so thankful that you give us all that we need. And so we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name.